With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Described by Rolling Stone as impossible to ignore, On the Record presents the story of music executive Drew Dixon as she grapples with her decision to become one of the first women of color in the wake of Me Too to publicly accuse hip-hop mogul Russell Simmons of sexual assault. From filmmakers Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering of The Hunting Ground, the documentary dives into the way women of color are too often ignored when alleging sexual assault and the cultural forces that pressure them into silence. On the Record is now streaming, only on HBO Max. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. We've got a lot to talk about this week with the Toronto and Venice lineups, new updates to the theatrical window situation, and updates as well for Unhinged and Tenant. But before we get into all that, for those who are watching the video version of this podcast, I just want to acknowledge that. I've made it to Toronto, as you can see from my virtual Zoom background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're somehow still in LA. I, I got across that border. I, they're not opening this apparently until the end of August in Toronto. You can't you know? go. They're not opening until the end of August, and then they're quarantining you if you do go. Yeah, I think it's going to be a bit tough. We're, but I have to say, with 50 borders movies, are closed. <laughs> Fifty movies in this lineup. If we have to experience them at home then we can deal because that's a pretty tangible number. Usually at Toronto, it's like 300 plus movies and you're running around, you're actually juggling virtual screen or, you know, screener links and trying to go to screenings that you can't replicate that way. And this sounds at least more tangible. And I think all things considered, when you look at this lineup, and I'll be curious to know what you make of it because we work together on a story about this. But to me, what this lineup says is, okay, maybe it looks a little strange on paper. It's not as, as flashy and high profile. You don't have a bunch of gala sections and, and or a bunch of gala films and a bunch of, you know, um, you know, Oscar movies all over the place and then tons of stuff from all over the world. But you do have, I think, a fairly accurate representation of 2020 in the sense that it's kind of like a bunch of stuff, some of which is higher profile than others, but a lot of which looks like it could be pretty good. So I, for one, am feeling pretty good about this Toronto lineup for what Look, it is. Look, we're... We are both eager to participate in a film festival. We are both grateful that these people have pushed forward despite budget deficits and all sorts of issues that they're facing financially. They're going ahead and they're actually putting on the festival. Tell you I couldn't do it. Can couldn't do it. Venice is doing it. And so is all Toronto. And they, so these are going to be very different experiences because Venice has said, has said, I spoke to Alberto Barbera this yeah. week. That they, they're just not even going to try to have a, a real virtual event because it's just too difficult. Producers and sales agents don't want that. Toronto is basically leaning into the virtual event. There will be drive-ins and stuff, but if you're not already in Toronto, you're watching these things. Well, they're te- right. So they're telling everybody to stay home. <laughs> don't come. And, and they're expecting talent to, uh, you know, be up on the big screen if you're in Toronto and if you're inside a screen or out in an, at, a, at a, a drive-in or an outdoor pop-up, they're going to see 
on the big screen. There's no red carpet. There's no, uh, none of the usual falderall. We get to watch the screenings as part of P&I, the press and industry. And that's going to be limited to a certain number. I hope, I hope we get in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, think, I, I have a feeling we'll be okay. I think but we'll be fine. Question, I mean, the, they're, they're saying, uh, you know, the media diversity and inclusivity initiatives have, that they've started in the last few years have not changed and that there will be 30 new media added out of 500 accredited media overall, which is st still a lot of people when you think about it, but it's, it's diffuse. I mean, they're, you're not going to see those crowds. So how the they point, process it is different. So I get some encouragement from a movie like Nomadland, the, the Chloe Zhao, Francis McDormand, which is playing all four festivals, including a screening from Telluride in, in, uh, in L.A. But um, that's going to be an Oscar contender, uh, clearly. And I'm, I'm uh, Ammonite. The word is very good. Uh, Cameron Bailey was raving about the performance of Kate Winslet. Um, in, in that uh, gay romance. Um, you know, there, there are a few things, a lot of very starry looking documentaries. Can't wait to see the opening night movie, Spike Lee's David Byrne uh, film of his Broadway show. Cannot wait to see that. Yeah, I couldn't get tickets. So HBO, yeah. Um, so we, we can see that ahead of time. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff uh, for sale. It's a, it's a huge acquisitions market. Clearly, those are the movies that see some advantage. The missing movies are the big studio junket titles, the fall launch titles. A, they don't know when they're opening, <laughs> and B, uh, what will they get out of a junket like this? And, well, and, and they're just going to do it some other way. There are a lot of questions around all of that. I mean, in, as an acquisitions market, it's a different kind of acquisitions market than it would be with a physical festival, right? Because we saw deals coming out of the Marche du film. People so they're going to have online arrangements right. anyway. It's a different kind of process. But this way they get more media. Sure. And the question is, with something like, say, Concrete Cowboys, which stars Idris Elba, that's a pr presumably a fairly high profile acquisition title. The festival environment as such means reviews and maybe some interviews that could help fuel interest from buyers, as opposed to, say, the shrieking crowd of the red carpet and the audience applause at the end or whatever. We're not going to have that kind of bump. There will be so, some other kind of virtual buzz that will be uh, generated on Twitter and everything else by the media who are seeing films at the same time and writing about them at the same time. It'll be an interesting uh, experiment. And of course, I'm very glad that it's happening, even if it's a smaller, slimmer, um, lower budget kind of uh, virtual version. And I'm also really happy about uh, the range of films that we might have an excuse to talk about in a different light this year. I mean, look, I can understand the challenges facing award season from an infrastructure standpoint. We benefit from that. The industry as a whole benefits from, from Oscar season. And that's something I think that it that needs to survive in its own kind of way. And if There's an entire like, ecosystem around it. Yeah, and that's and if, part of what they were saying is that they were trying to support the ecosystem. And, yeah, and I, th and, and, and I think the whole ecosystem. Films, but if films like Nomad Land and Ammonite, those are those are movies that are, that are Oscar containers that also need that kind of festival boost as opposed to, say, the David Fincher movie from Netflix. Like Netflix has that covered. They really don't need this kind of system. Especially. Well, they made it clear they're not participating in yeah, the festivals. Yeah, they made it clear while And they don't So need New York it. is still to come. I'm very curious. I mean, Nomadland will be a centerpiece there. I'm curious to see they're going to have to announce an opening night, uh, when they're going to be, night. you know, I want to see what happens. Do it. Yeah. yeah. 
But I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of overlap now that we have Tip and Venice. You can see some overlap there. And what's kind of interesting about that is not beyond beyond the nomad land of it all. There are a couple films that have come up a few times already. I mean, one movie that to me would have been an obvious kind of Tip platform title is Chaitanya Tamhane's film The Disciple. He made a film called Court. It was a sort of a, a very well received. Uh, debut feature just a couple of years ago. And that's, that's playing made, Venice also. Yeah, it's an Indian film in Venice and, and Alfonso Cuaron is a, is a producer on it. And uh, it doesn't sound like a movie that will be, you know, necessarily a hot sales title. But I think that uh, for those of us who are excited to just see something that's really new and different, and we haven't had a big international festival, that's the kind of thing we're excited about, as is a new John Franco Rossi film, Naturno. Uh, which is also in both lineups and, and presumably follow up to fire at sea, which I loved. Yeah. Great filmmaker there. And uh, it's nice to see that there are films that might have gotten a, a different kind of bump earlier in the year from the festival circuit, finding their way back into that. Uh, yeah, there's some titles that were supposed to be at Tribeca and so and forth. I'm looking forward respect. to the Werner Herzog uh, sure. meteor encounter movie. <laughs> with with yeah, that, that that's going to be on Apple. That's been and, picked up. But yeah, there are a lot of other ones for sale. Yeah. And then you have something like Shiva Baby, which apparently is a comedy about a Shiva, because why not? Uh, which is a South By movie and sounds like a South By movie. But sometimes those kinds of films can find their way in a Toronto, in a, in a smaller Toronto, perhaps a smaller film gets a chance to stand out. And then you have something like Regina King's one. Uh, that sounds one. good. Yeah, her directorial debut. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, Leslie Odom Jr.'s in it. I spoke to him for Hamilton and he seemed really high on that experience. Aldous Hodge. Yeah, and Aldous Hodge. Yeah, it's a great cast. Um, there were a few films that are at Venice and not at Toronto, which I thought was interesting, like Mona Fassfold's film, World to Come, Gia Coppola's film, Mainstream, which seems to be a bigger title. So I think it's going to be fascinating to figure out as we get the buzz out of Venice and then head into Toronto, what, you know, benefited from one placement versus the other. Well, it's an interesting thing to see Toronto actually curating a festival. I, 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 you know, no, really, because, you know, it's, it's, uh, they, they had to say no to a lot of things. There weren't as many docs as usual, for example. They only had 11 of them. But yeah, but let's be clear. Tip does turn movies down. It's just usually they have a wider range of, of sections for different kinds of movies. Oh, it's super avant-garde, so we'll put it in wavelengths or midnight for the- No, they had to balance an entire program and really pick and choose what what they wanted. And so I think I'm very curious to see what that turns out to look like. Yeah, it's a bummer that, as you say, there are fewer docs. I mean- They usually have about 25 and they only had 11 and Tom Powers definitely would have wanted to book more. So people can look forward to doc NYC now. (laughs) Whatever form that ends up taking. I mean, it's, you think in a year where the market was at the start of 2020, so hot around nonfiction, this would be a good time to really lean into that. But then again, you also need those films with stars and, and have other kinds of acquisition prospects. So I'm sure it was a fascinating challenge, even if it is kind of a bummer that it can't, happen in its usual sort of way. But um, I'm curious to see what Halle Berry's uh, debut looks like, uh, sure, Bruce, which she sure. stars in. She yeah, plays I, an MMA fighter, <laughs> I'm all making for a that. comeback. <laughs> right, just, uh, you know, if, 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 if it delivers on that, on what it looks like on paper, I'm okay with that. I, it will be interesting to see how the, you know, the concept of the festival unfolds this year. I mean, Tip doesn't have to cancel now. It, no matter what happens, and, and hopefully nothing changes in a dramatic way, but we have a lineup of films that seem to be 
okay with the virtual festival concept as the primary way in which most people uh, experience these movies. Can I think did something smart because it couldn't go virtual and the decision was made not to go virtual to create a selection that could travel around. Some of those films are in TIFF and other like festivals. Like Ammonite. Yeah. yeah, that was an interesting solution. And I think- you And know, following earlier, the, uh, yeah. the, the Viggo Mortensen that was at Sundance. Sure. And, and earlier this year, I think it was just too hard to conceive of a major festival making this kind of jump. But I'm glad that TIFF is because, you know, last week we were talking to the Sundance folks and you could see they're trying to figure out if that is in, in the cards as well. So I think we're going to, this is a step towards what needs to be the new normal, at least for. for but there's the a lot of movies missing. I mean, something like The French Dispatch, which yeah. was supposed to go to Cannes. And, and we might have expected it to be at the fall festivals when they pushed the October date back. They clearly were opting for a more global, this is what I've learned, a more global release for the movie uh, that could go out to multiple countries at the same time. And I think it's probably Berlin because he's been there twice before. So we might see that movie open just in time for the Oscars out of Berlin. Well, I, I was talking to somebody about this last night. I mean, the, the idea that uh, the Oscars push to April is creating so uh, you know more time for certain studio films to find their way. That itself is still an open question because we don't know in January and February if you'll be able to open any differently than you'd be able to open right now. Well, the point is, is that if that's true, um, they're going to wait. A, they're going to wait because part of what Searchlight wants is to give that movie all the different bells and whistles marketing wise that they would ordinarily give it. And they're constrained now. I think that's what's really going on with Toronto is that the studios and distributors are like, what can we do? Well, right. what bump is it going to give us, really? Well, and um, yet, Fox Searchlight, which is... They went with that yeah. one. They yeah, no and Neon went with Ammonite. You know, they did a yeah. few, thank God. And yeah, Sony and did The Father. I think the determinant, I mean, we haven't seen these movies. We saw The Father, but we haven't seen Ammonite and... Uh, and the Father uh, should play very well. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's an interesting question because these are obviously judgments on the basis of the films, too. I mean, I... Now, Alberto Barbera was saying, you know, No Man Land, he made that prediction he made for Joker last year that it's going to go to the Oscars. But it's also, he, you know, people have been saying, you know, it's a, it's a quiet film. It's a small film. And like Moonlight launching at Kelly Redden and Tip or whatever, there are certain kinds of films that really do need that kind of platform. And so it's interesting to see how the, the studios are determining when, when they can do this here. Well, just as uh, Solstice making the decision to throw unhinged out at the beginning of, of this whole uh, theatrical season, whatever it turns out to be at the end of, of August. Um, the, uh, the, the, the distributors who made the decision to go to Toronto are going to get more attention for the films that, that are the highest profile films than they might have otherwise gotten. Remember, most of these movies would have been buried. And I do like the idea, you know, that more people will be able to discover this particular selection than they might sure. have otherwise. So speaking of theatrical uncertain future, we got a fascinating update on that front. You know, a few months ago, we had fun with the kind of the salaciousness of that throwdown between AMC and Universal over a Trolls movie of all things. Now they seem to have found some common ground, but it's, it seems to be favoring Universal, a 17-day window as opposed to a 90-day window. 
right, that so is- let's let's figure this out a little bit. Windows are complicated, right? So the 90-day was the old VOD window. PVOD, which is premium VOD, which is where they charge uh, now it will be a minimum of $19.99 for Universal. That's premium. That's ahead of that other window. And back at the day of, of Irishman, uh, the uh, people at Netflix were negotiating for a better deal. Uh, I had heard 45 days was on the table. Others have reported 30 days even. So this 17-day window is very dramatic but there's only one way that it could happen and that is that amc which is the theater chain the biggest theater chain around the world the one that is most on the ropes financially in serious debt and taking on more and more debt as the pandemic continues to stay in business they are really over leveraged and so universal has given them an opportunity i understand to participate in those pvod uh, numbers and given them, you know, a lot of uh, favored status. Uh, so this is a this is something that the other exhibitors are up in arms about. And right. as usual, Universal did not message very well, didn't communicate very well, didn't talk to their overseas partners. Everybody's pissed off now. Well, the question with Universal is: Are they are they the best? studio in business right now or the worst in terms of they have made some very astute uh decisions along the way and this one may have been one of them and it's a historic big deal what they do a lot of people have been in holding patterns and and this feels like some sort of momentum and the question is does everyone now have to follow that pattern or is this going to be just they are saying they're resisting it and they may not even be able to get the same deal because uh basically amc is favoring yeah, Universal for being first. Regal is saying they're going to have none of it, that it's not a model that they could, the second largest uh, chain that they could even follow. And if, if you go to a country like France, as you know, Eric, they are never going to follow yeah. any of these yeah. models. They're on yeah. their own. Years. Uh, yeah. Years. Yeah. Waiting. So it will be sort of a mess, but it'll be a glorious mess. And the whole tenant uh, thing is fascinating, too. I mean, the idea that they're going to open that in the United States over Labor Day weekend, a week after it opens all over the rest of the world, not everywhere. It's staggered. But still, that they would offer, offer open this in Europe ahead of the U.S. is pretty amazing. Yeah, so Tenet is opening August 26th in, in Europe. It happens to be my birthday. It's not much of a gift unless they make some plans for me to see it then. But uh, I am... Hey, I'm jealous of our UK brethren who actually got invited to a screening of Unhinged this week. Yeah, I mean, hopefully hopefully they're all healthy and, and so we can remain There jealous. are four it's people in the theater wearing yeah. masks at a distance, but that's yeah. still a, a, a brave thing to do. Maybe I'm not so brave in London. Yeah, I wonder with the release of a movie like Unhinged, what that, you know, just what movie going culture feels like for people who, you know, treasure going to movie theaters. Does it feel, you know, relaxing, calming, a return to normal? Or are you sitting there wondering the whole time if you should be sitting there? I mean, that, yeah. there is this real existential question. Well, so- you're in New York, and I think that people who have been through the pandemic in New York experienced something more intense and more disturbing and with more people they knew who were sick or who maybe even died um, than um, many other places. I mean, they're catching up now, but it was never as intense here as it was in New York. 
well, for I example. The, the numbers that are in California now and in We're the biggest here. state. That's yeah. why. Our percentages aren't as bad as yeah, some of the other states. Yeah, and I think states. in New York, it's, it's fascinating now because I live in an area of Queens that's fairly populated and you walk around, you see a lot of people outside, you see people dining outside, restaurants have taken over seats, you know, so it's when you're outside, there is a sense of, you know, we are probably safer right now than we would be inside. Inside still feels a bit transgressive. I've been outside of the city limits where you can dine indoors and I have done that. And there is a little bit of uncertainty associated with you. How do you get past that psychologically? And then for a general public that has now had to endure the anxiety of this pandemic, it's, it's a whole other thing. People are definitely not, di- I mean, most people are not dining indoors. Here. Yeah. So with Tenet, it's just so fascinating to me because I wondered at one point it was like, Nolan will either be the hero who saves the movie going, or he could be the bad guy who's putting all our lives in danger because we have to go watch his movie. Well, look, the real truth, the, the real, absolutely. The real truth though, is that overseas, um, th- that's always been the dominant uh, market anyway. That's where most of the grosses are. And they're just facing uh, reality that they may not get what they need. I mean, New York and LA may not be open by Labor Day. Right. And, and then the other thing about that is, you know, the money that's spent on the marketing for a movie like Tenet is so sophisticated because Nolan is a micromanager and wants to reveal little bits and pieces about this movie but we don't totally know the big picture and yet Europe's going to know everything before it comes here there's no once it's we're not here, used to that yeah that, there, <laughs> Americans when will, do we get to see spoilers. it <laughs> spoilers will be everywhere and it's going to be an interesting kind of process they're going to have to try yeah. to be good about that yeah, good luck with that. I mean, I guess the, the Russo brothers had that campaign going with Avengers where they said don't spoil uh, Endgame or something like that. But Nolan's not a big social media guy, so I think they'll actually have to step out like Tarantino did at Cannes and, and write a letter to everybody. Well, that worked pretty well for Tarantino. Okay, I gave him a hard I time. I think people right. behaved. I mean, I, I don't like being told what to do. And, and the thing is, like, with spoilers, the question is, what is it that... that should or shouldn't be spoiled. And with, with Nolan, you really do need like a rule book of sorts because a big part of it is probably just going to be figuring out what the movie's about at all. So we don't <laughs> I think know. That's where we, most of our energy is going to go. <laughs> what is Tenet? Then once we know that, then there'll be other stuff involving character and plot development and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be fascinating. I mean, I, I, I have high hopes for that movie. I, I will say I was heartened to see that one of my favorite films from Cannes last year opened in France this week, The Climb. Um, I don't Finally. Know Poor, I feel so bad for them. It's been more than a year and they've had like five release dates at least. And yeah, they're, still, yeah. they're not coming out until October here. If then. I mean, it's a real question. You know, um, as we're talking uh, on Thursday, I'm, I'm making plans later today to get in my car and go to a drive-in that Rooftop Films is hosting for... Amy Simon's film, uh, She Dies Tomorrow, which is doing drive-in this week, going on VOD next week. And um, I think it's pretty cool. Like, if you can, if you live near a drive-in, a movie-going experience is available to you. And the, the question is, can movie-going for these kinds of films and the limitations we have right now still give us some, you know, some exhibition delights? I mean, like... In, I enjoyed in going to see Fatima at the drive-in. That was yeah, the pop-up theater. Yeah, but, yeah. Fun. I mean, it's, it requires more work. Is the thing? It's a, it's a different kind of experience for us right now. And in other parts of the world, they're starting to get a taste of what it's like to have 
uh, film going culture back. And we have to kind of do some somersaults. It's a little bit like going to, um, it's it's a little bit like watching a movie on an airplane in the sense that the, 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 the the screen is far away. The the sound isn't as as good, but you do get the sense of other people around you, which is really nice. I like that. And and, you know, you can't interface in quite the same way. Your laughter or or whatever, if you roll your window down, maybe, but you know, for screening, we can't go to premieres, you know, we can't see our peers. And they honked, they honked instead of applauding. That was the, then they had all the usual preamble up on the screen, you know, right. But I'd go back. Did you, was there a Q and A at your screening for Fatima? So my understanding is the film I'm going to, there will be a pre-recorded Q&A, which is an interesting choice. That's going to be the new thing, I think, and it could be innovative. Oh, by the way, one of the things that I like about about the new theater paradigm is the idea that if it works well and the um, there's a little bit less risk of having to put movies in theaters for months at a time, that you could you could have uh, the the studios be a little bit more uh, willing to take risks on more uh, movies, a wider range of movies, knowing that they could take them uh, to PVOD right away. Well, that's and I think that could help a lot. Yeah, that's that what, what you're saying there. It almost sounds like the early '70s or something. At least the lore attached to that moment, the idea that you know. You can, Just think of all the good screenplays that have been written during yeah. the pandemic. We could have yeah. a real, you know, I, these are my fantasies. I'm not saying they'll become real, but there's room for innovation and change in the exhibition world now that is exciting to me. Yeah, and, and I think, um, I mean, look, a lot of people are out of work. A lot of productions are still in limbo. But if people are willing to look at it as an opportunity and they have the luxury of still, you know, being employed in some fashion, you, you can't just sit there and wait for things to change. I, I, I hope that some of the distributors that haven't yet embraced different approaches that are still just sort of holding on to their stuff. And it's on the table people. now. Yeah, they really need there to. There are negotiations now. Yeah, and I think we, we would learn a lot from looking at uh, deals that are taking place, you know, and how theatrical is being written into them and so forth. I assume there's an evolution in thinking all across the board, but it should be fascinating to see what happens in the fall festivals as these Absolutely. Are, are screened and so forth. So next week, I'm not exactly sure where we're going to be at. We'll be coming to the last sort of piece of the summer movie season of sorts. So I'm sure we'll have some movies to talk about. We've had a summer movie season. It hasn't been a traditional one, but there are still some, some films coming out worth talking about so I'm, I'm sure we'll dig through some i've been catching up i saw kajillionaire which the trailer broke today um the miranda great. july movie with evan rachel wood and deborah winger and and richard jenkins hugely entertaining i have to say one of my favorite of the movies i saw at sundance no, highly recommended i mean if that's the standard bearer for a summer movie i'm all for it you know that's the other <laughs> thing you pick out a lot of the excess mcu stuff and we end up talking about the same kind of movies we like talking about anyway. So, in any case, next week uh, I'll find you and we'll talk about whatever we need to talk about then. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye Bye-bye, Eric. Hey 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.